everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for human resources. I'm Chris Saplensky. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR Works. In many workplaces across the country, stress levels run high among managers who feel pressured by company executives to achieve specific goals or levels of productivity. Too many times, these managers, in turn, pass that pressure and stress onto their employees, becoming focused on winning no matter what it takes, using scare tactics and motivation by fear to get their employees to work faster, harder, and for longer hours. In effect, these managers lose their souls. Even worse, their managerial tactics that may work in the short term lose their effectiveness over the long haul as employees will eventually tune out, burn out, or simply seek employment elsewhere, thus creating morale and turnover issues, a recipe for disaster for any organization. Our guests on HR Works today want to change that. Karen Hurt, founder of Let's Grow Leaders, helps leaders around the world achieve breakthrough results without losing their soul in the process. A former Verizon Wireless executive, she has over two decades of experience in sales, customer service, and HR. She was recently named on Inc.'s list of 100 great leadership speakers and American Management Association's 50 leaders to watch. David Dye, president of Trailblaze, Inc., is an award-winning author, leadership keynote speaker, trainer, and coach. A former nonprofit executive and elected official, David believes anyone can master the fundamentals of leadership and influence. Together, Karen and David have authored a new book, Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul, which lays the groundwork and provides tools for managers who want to be known for getting results whom people respect and want to work with. Karen and David, welcome to HR Works. Thank you so much for having us. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Um, In your book, you provide a roadmap for managers who want to win well, that is, improve business results and performance without losing their soul. Can you explain this concept in further detail? It really all starts with the internal values of confidence and humility, the confidence to stand up for what matters, to own your strengths and to speak the truth, and then the humility to know your vulnerabilities, surround yourself with people who will challenge you and admit your mistakes, and then the external focus of results and relationships, the uh, holding people accountable, setting very clear expectations from a results standpoint, and then relationships, building genuine trust with the human beings you're working with and fostering collaboration. And so our Winning Well model and our Winning Well tools are a balance of focusing on the confidence and humility and results and relationships. And when you can get all of that in balance, that's where people are able to achieve the results that really last and also feel good about the work they're doing and uh, are feeling good about uh, coming to work every day. Great. Um, 
you also assure readers that winning well as a manager doesn't mean they'll become a pushover. Uh, what, what would you say to a manager who is afraid to loosen the reins or fears that he or she will be taken advantage of if they don't use harsh measures or scare tactics to drive results? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the bottom line for every organization and every team is to accomplish results. It's the only reason the team exists. And if you're not achieving results, there's no reason for you to be there. You don't have a job and you're not serving your team or the organization. So what we have found and what we know to be true from our own careers and all the thousands of managers that we've worked with is that you achieve better results that last and they endure they're more sustainable when you do it in connection with the human beings on your team, as opposed to when you're using them and using those fear, power, and control tactics. But it doesn't mean being a pushover, right? It's it's really holding, having clear expectations and pe- holding people accountable to those expectations and then empowering them with the tools and the confidence to be, a, be successful in their roles. Terrific. Um, and I think I heard uh, uh, Karen you earlier make reference to um, these four principles. Um, you explain in the book that managers who res- who sustain results over time operate from the principles of confidence, humility, results, and relationships. Can you share a little bit more information about each of these and how they all fit together? Yeah. So confidence, a balance between confidence and humility, right? The ability to have a very be very secure in who you are as a leader. And knowing that doesn't mean that you're perfect, but that you are bringing skills to the table that make a difference. And a lot of the work that we do, particularly with frontline leaders, is helping them to show up at the table with confidence um, and inspiring other people towards a, a vision that is audacious to achieve really breakthrough results more than, you know, in, you know, setting these high expectations that make people excited about what they're up to and that they're accomplishing something significant. But if you've got the confidence without humility, then it can be very, very dangerous mm. uh, because you may be inspiring your team towards a really strong vision, uh, but if you're not getting the having the what we call the only ugly conversations about what's not working, um, you're not getting the information you need, uh, then you will not be as effective as you possibly can as a leader. So that's the confidence and humility. And then, David, maybe you want to elaborate a little bit more on the results and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, when, the fo- when you're focused on results, as Karen said earlier, and you've got a clear understanding of what matters most, we call it MIND, B-M-I-T, the most important thing, and that you know both as an objective, as an outcome, what's the most important thing that your team contributes, as well as what's the most important behavior that each individual, yourself included, contributes to produce that outcome. You get really clear on that and you practice the accountability, but you do it in the context of healthy professional relationships. So I was just working with a group of uh, engineer senior leaders uh, yesterday, and they were very clear on the results, but they're struggling on the accountability piece, and their reflex was to go to punishment and what can we take away from people if they're not performing and what really, there's a step far before that where they need to be building the healthy relationships that will allow them to have the accountability conversations and to coach their people into performance as opposed to punish them into performance. And the performance you get and the results you get are so much uh, greater and much less 
sorry, the, the results you get are so much greater and they last longer when you're able to combine that focus on results and relationships and everything you do. Great, thanks. Um, you also note that the keys to winning well are motivating, inspiring, and energizing your team. Um, employers across the country undoubtedly wish they had a magic formula for achieving that. Uh, you explain that in order to uh, do this, managers need to understand the fundamental needs all employees have and support them in ways that sustain and improve results. Can you provide some insights or examples of this? Yeah, one critical way is connecting what you're asking people to do to why you're asking them to do it. Uh, that we, There's so much research that shows uh, that that is what millennials are frustrated with most in the workplace, okay. and it's not just millennials, right? We all want to feel like we are adding value to a mission that is important. And it's easy it, when we're managing under a lot of stress it, to just focus on, hey, get this stuff done, you know, it, instead of taking a step back and saying, these are why these policies exist. This is why we're asking you to do it this way. This is why this deadline is so important. And when you can connect what to why, that it's a really good place to start. David, what would you add? Sure. Another vital need that, that employees have is for growth. And, you know, the research suggests, again, the millennials uh, – prioritize that much higher than other uh, groups of people do, but the demographic differences are not that great. Boomers value growth as well. Right. So as a leader, as a manager, how are you helping your people, you know, how are you helping your people to expand their capacity? Growth doesn't always mean a promotion or leadership responsibility. It can mean cross-training. It can mean coaching your people to help them develop their own problem-solving and critical thinking skills. Uh, or maybe going deeper in their subject matter expertise. There's so many different ways that you can help people to grow. And as a leader, as a manager, when you do that, your people are more invested in their work, their performance increases, as does their loyalty and overall engagement. Great, thanks. Um, I have one uh, scenario I wanted to th uh, throw your way. So, you know, one of the hottest topics in the HR world these days is company culture. So what, if you, what do you do if your company leadership isn't in the practice of treating employees with compassion and understanding? And you work in a tox, or you work at a toxic culture. Um, what can a manager who's you know interested in this winning well? Um, what would you suggest be their approach in a situation like that? Yeah, this is yeah. one of the most frequently asked questions that we get because so many people are experiencing that, where you've got a culture where people are feeling disengaged or there are what we call user-manager behaviors where people are focused way too much on the confidence and results at the expense of uh, relationships and humility. And so we talk about building a cultural oasis, okay. um, you know, and how do you really focus on doing what you can in, in your sphere of influence and to stay true to the values of confidence, humility, and results and relationships and try to buffer some of the noise from your team and not letting it um, trickle down, what we call trickle-down intimidation, where <laughs> you know your boss yells at you and therefore you go yell at your, your team and then they go yell at their team and everybody's frustrated. And right. to be, be the voice of reason where that stops. And one of the uh, tools that we invite managers to focus on is we call it to play the game, not game the score. And in toxic environments, many times what has happened is that there's so much pressure and focus put on 
uh, internal scorecard measurements, you know, 37 different criteria that you've got to satisfy, and that's impossible. Uh, no, if, you're, if 37 different things are important, then nothing is. And so if you're going to create that cultural oasis, one of the things that you can uh, focus on to do that is to know what really matters most to the value that your team is contributing to the company. Okay. If, if they're your internal customer or if you're directly serving your customer, what's the value you contribute to them? Because we say your customer doesn't care about your internal scorecard. They care about the product or results, the service that you're providing for them. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to put your focus there and get those results, results will buy you some freedom and you're always ultimately responsible for how you treat other people. No one can force you to be a jerk. And ultimately, that's something that's always in your control. I like it. I, I love cultural oasis as well. Um, so uh, how about on a related note, let's say you are a manager who's been, you know, traditionally using a harsh managerial style for, you know, for, for whatever the circumstances, maybe it's reading your book, but you realize, you know what, I want to make a change. Um, if that's been your style all along and you want to change that, what would you suggest as a first step? Should that be something that they would want to communicate this desire to their team, or do you just simply start walking the walk? I think it's a both and. I've got a, an example of a, uh, a senior leader um, who very much profiled that way, had a harsh style. Everybody on his team knew it. His colleagues called him out on it regularly. Uh, and in our, as we started working together, he determined that he did want to make that change. Hmm. And so he did not address his team first. What he did was he started making small changes and um, inquiring about people as human beings first. And he actually had, we gave him homework. You know, he, uh, you know, this week he tried to find something at a human level about each of his people, uh, and just a small change like that. Then, as he started making changes, and people could see something was was different, something was happening, he was starting to be more encouraging. He didn't back off of his expectations at all. He had to produce the results, but he started investing in people as human beings, and people started noticing the difference. And then they would ask, hey, what's going on? And then he got the team together and said, look, I want to be a more effective leader, and here are some of the things I'm working on to do that. And so appreciate your um, feedback. If I drop the ball, let me know. Because I want great. to grow. And that is a particularly great way to invite some challenges sometimes, the humility part of the, the component that can that can grow your effectiveness. I like that. I like that uh, I like that transparency. So and if you and if you want your people to also know their vulnerabilities and be honest and to be continuing to improve, there's almost nothing you can do better than to admit that you're not perfect and that you're working on getting better at the things that you're struggling with. Uh, that way, when you're asking your team to improve, they know you're not asking them to do anything that you're not also trying to do. Great point. Um, so can the winning well approach to management, uh, which focuses on compassion and growth, extend to all aspects of the employment relationship, uh, even the unpleasant tasks such as employee discipline and termination? Yeah, we actually have chapters in our book that address some of those. You know, we say, you know, how do you, how do you fire someone with compassion? Right. And we both had to do that uh, in our careers. And you know, I spent a decade in HR, so you know, I was involved in many terminations, unfortunately. Mm. And you, know, you still can show up like a decent human being. You need to do all the things to be compliant, right, and, mm-hmm. and follow the, your policies. But it does not mean you have to show up without some empathy. 
And, you know, one specific thing that I learned uh, when I was having to do this was you know, I would help people, you know, say, you know, you've done something wrong, you know, assuming you're firing for cause or, or low performance, but you're not a failure, right? You are, this is just one moment in your life, and you can get through this. And that level of encouragement can really go a long way. I, I, I've had people that have come back uh, to me years later and say, you know what, I really wasn't a good fit for that job. And thanks for a graceful exit because I am so much happier now. And I, I know David's had similar uh, situations. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the other piece I would add is that the very act of holding someone accountable, even to the point of termination if it's for cause, should be properly done in active compassion because you're not doing anybody a favor letting them continue in a role where they're struggling, they're an ill fit, and they're dragging down the team. They're creating difficulty for themselves and resentment within the team, and that's a lose all the way around. Why right. on earth would you want to allow that to continue? That's not serving the person or the team, and basically the reason we don't do it is because we don't either have the skills or the courage uh, and so that's what we want to equip managers and leaders with, is both the skills and the courage to, to realize that when you do it right, you are helping the person move to something greater in their life and giving them an opportunity um, for a better fit or to learn something that maybe they haven't learned quite yet. And that should be an act of compassion. Great. That's a, that's a great perspective. So I understand that you both recently returned from a book tour and uh, philanthropic work in Southeast Asia in which you built clean water winning wells for Cambodian villages in honor of your clients. Can you tell us about that and how it ties into your work and the winning well concept? Uh, yes. Well, we were, we we're very excited and we're also very jet-lagged uh, <laughs> because we spent a month and we were in uh, four different countries. And it was a combination of uh, keynote speaking and working with senior-level leaders in uh, Malaysia and Singapore. Uh, we actually uh, were the opening keynote of the HR Asia Summit, which was so much fun. What a good good, good group of people. Excellent. Um, and then then after that, we went to Thailand and Cambodia, where we did pro bono work, um, helping leaders in the small villages there, uh, managers, uh, gain access to some leadership training that may not have otherwise had. Hmm. Um, and then while we were there, we were able to visit some of our clean water wells. So we build uh, winning wells, uh, which are... Um, they're very, they're very basic, simple wells that provide clean water in these very rural villages in Cambodia. And so when we do that, when we have an engagement, either a keynote speech or a training program, um, then as a thank you uh, to the organization, we build this well, winning well in their name. And it has been unbelievable to see the impact um, of the families because you know, when, when you don't have clean water, a lot else goes wrong in mm. terms of your health and your um, economic, you know, so viability. So, uh, you know, we were talking to one family and they said, well, now that I have the well, I was able to water this lemon tree and I can sell the lemons for 25 cents a piece, which is an enormous amount of money. It goes a long way in Cambodia, which enabled me now to buy a chicken. And because I can buy a chicken, I now have eggs to sell oh. and have the ability to really support my family. That's true. So it was, met, it was just a really powerful experience for us. We met another little girl who her well had been in for six or eight months, and she had had frequent 
doctor's visits and illnesses, and just having clean water and all, along with it some iron enrichment um, that's a part of the, the Wells program uh, had cleared up. She had not had to go to the doctor in, in the last several months, just just from the impact of the water and the iron enrichment in her water. So it's a, uh, a really great way to make an impact. And, and to Chris, to answer your question about how it ties into winning well in the bigger picture, mm. we end the book by encouraging every leader to think about their legacy. Your legacy is not just the product you make or the service you provide. Those things are going to go away. They'll be forgotten. Ultimately, your legacy as a manager, as a leader, it's the impact that you have on the people that you're with every day. And so we invite everyone listening today to really think about what is your impact, what is your legacy, and that's part of what we want our legacy to be, as well as the people that we're impacting day-to-day with the work we're doing. Uh, That is great. That's wonderful what you're doing. Um, Any uh, last words of advice for a leader who wants to embark on the journey to change the way he or she manages their employees so as to both treat them with more compassion and improve their performance? I would say, first of all, just start, pick something that you really want to do better uh, and have a bigger impact and work on that consistently every single day. And then when you've mastered that, pick something else so that you're continually growing. Uh, There's so many tools in our book and sometimes people say, well, I read your book and now I have a hundred things on my list to change. (laughs) You're never going to change a hundred things all at once, right? (laughs) Pick one at a time and work to make an impact would be my advice. Uh, David, what would you add? I uh, totally agree. One of the places that if you're looking for, okay, that's what, what is the one thing I should pick? Well, we encourage you to look either at results or relationships. And if you're looking at results, one of the places we find most people struggle is that their expectations, their definition of what winning looks like for their team is not as clear as they think it is. And if you're not clear and your people are not clear about ultimately what success looks like, you have no chance as a leader, as a manager. You can't build the healthy relationship. You can't get things done. You won't have people pointed in the right direction. So if there's a number one thing to, to take a look at and, and see if it lines up, go ask everybody on your team, what does success look like? And if you're getting different answers, start there, clarify results, uh, and you'll be on the right road. That's great advice. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Karen and David, for joining us today and providing our listeners with this great information and these helpful tips. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. Fantastic spending time with you. And again, the name of the book is Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And it's available at winningwellbook.com. That's all one word, winningwellbook.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. For HR Works, I'm Chris Saplinski.